It is viewed as a stain on our broader record of upholding the highest standards of rule of law. We have a record of upholding the highest standards of the rule of law? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That must be new. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Nope, not scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio, KPFK in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM, KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM, KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93FM, WLRI in Lancaster. Out in Hawaii on 88.5FM, KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and blanketing the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com thank you for joining us today as ever for another action-packed thrilling adventure some uh, breaking news as we go to air president obama has now given a plan finally a new plan for uh, to congress to shut down guantanamo bay the prison the detention facility at guantanamo bay he called today for the closure once again the closure of that facility that he had promised before he became president back in 2008 and that he tried to effectuate once becoming president on day one. He's now delivering a new plan to Congress to achieve that goal. This would be seven years after he uh, he had made that Oval Office vow to permanently shutter the prison for enemy combatants. But of course, you'll be shocked to learn that Republicans are already uh, uh, blocking this move, already saying they won't do it. Of course, we haven't yet heard from the Democrats on this. I'll talk about that in a moment. But yes, there are legal obstacles that have been placed in the way of shutting down Guantanamo. Nonetheless, the president said that emptying the prison would move the country past what he described as a troubled era of wartime behavior. And that much is undeniable, especially with, you know, the the what do we have uh, just a couple of days ago over the weekend? George uh, Jeb Bush. See, there I go again. Jeb Bush dropped out of the presidential race. Even as Donald Trump was uh, criticizing the Iraq war, calling it you know built on lies, blaming George W. Bush for 9-11 and then absolutely destroying Jeb at the polls. Well, uh, that led to Jeb dropping out of the presidential race. And uh, to me and uh, my guest on yesterday's program, uh, Heather Digby Parton, discussing the idea that the Bush era is now over. Final. Good. Done. Well, maybe not. Certainly not with the Guantanamo prison still open. Here was the president uh, talking about his new plan 
to shut down Gitmo just today. For many years, it's been clear that the detention facility at Guantanamo Bay does not advance our national security. It undermines it. This is not just my opinion. This is the opinion of experts. This is the opinion of many in our military. It's counterproductive to our fight against terrorists because they use it as propaganda in their efforts to recruit. It drains military resources. With nearly $450 million spent last year alone to keep it running, Guantanamo harms our partnerships with allies and other countries whose cooperation we need against terrorism. When I talk to other world leaders, they bring up the fact that Guantanamo is not resolved. Moreover, keeping this facility open is contrary to our values. It undermines our standing in the world. It is viewed as a stain on our broader record of upholding the highest standards of rule of law. The president went on to outline the blueprint involving uh, transferring the bulk of the remaining detainees to other countries and moving the rest who can't be transferred abroad because they are deemed to be dangerous to an as-yet-undetermined detention facility in the United States. And Republicans, of course, in Congress, wasted no time in voicing their opposition to the administration's proposal. One of them, Senator Pat Roberts, and this is, ama- this is, this is the level of discourse, uh, discourse in these United States. Senator Pat Roberts, a grown-up senator, Republican from Kansas tweeted a video of himself throwing the proposal in the trash can today. This is what I think of the president's plan to send terrorists to the United States. God, is he an idiot. Uh, it's just, you know, <laughs> Senator Pat Roberts, U.S. Senator, uh, just within minutes, he certainly couldn't have read the plan before uh, crumpling it up and throwing away, much less making a video of it and tweeting it out. And of course, uh, he has said previously that he would oppose any plans to move any of these prisoners to Fort Leavenworth, which is a military prison in uh, in Kansas, his state, uh, because... You know, I don't even know. I mean, these guys are just unbelievable cowards. He said uh, in in a letter in August that he wrote to Ash Carter, the defense secretary, as they were looking at uh, potential places to move these prisoners. He said that Fort Leavenworth is neither the ideal nor right location for moving Guantanamo detainees. The installation lies right on the Missouri River, providing terrorists with the possibility of covert travel underwater and attempting access to the detention facilities. You're laughing, Desi Doyen? <laughs> yes. Oh my god, you're right. They're I, cowards. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. They're freaking out. They're right. like they're like little children screaming at a scary movie. Like it's a, a James Bond movie. They're going to put on scuba gear, swim up underneath the Missouri and River, tunnel underneath. somehow tunnel underneath, blow the facility. And nobody up, will know. Release that. Meanwhile, they're they're holding dangerous prisoners in Fort Leavenworth and don't you think that if there's a a, a chance that they might be released, 
Maybe they ought to do something about it. Maybe they ought to move Fort Leavenworth if it's so dangerous on the Missouri River. So unsecure. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I have one more thing I want yeah, to add. Go, to this. Yeah, okay, go ahead. so so yeah, so obviously the Republicans never miss an opportunity to make a political point um, and score cheap political points with their constituents who are obviously scared as well, scared to death, cowards. But also, this is incredibly insulting, I find, to America's professional law enforcement people. You know, if you are a prison guard at Fort Leavenworth and your senator just said to you, dude, you can't handle the job. John McCain, chairman of the Armed Services Committee, he also criticized Obama's plan, saying it was, quote, not a credible plan for closing Guantanamo, let alone a coherent policy to deal with future terrorist detainees. Now, this is John McCain, who ran for president in 2008, calling for Guantanamo to be closed. Remember, this used to be a bipartisan thing to get rid of uh, Guantanamo, get rid of the stain, as the president uh, described it, uh, that it places on our country for, you know, what happened there and the way this is a recruiting tool for for terrorists. Uh, U.S. officials said on Tuesday that this plan would also save the U.S. government between $65 million and $85 million per year compared to housing detainees at Guantanamo. So, so much for those Republicans who continue to pretend they are conservative and they are concerned about uh, uh, fiscal issues. They are not. That is a lie. That continues to be a lie. That continues to be a lie that Donald Trump's uh, successful run so far for the uh, Republican nomination underscores. He's talking about spending plenty of money. He's talking about growing the government, and it doesn't seem to be hurting him with these people who pretend that they are so-called conservatives. Obama had uh, also bemoaned uh, opposition to closing the facility, saying that when he entered, there was bipartisan agreement on on uh, on this issue. But, you know, that was then. This was now. Uh, you know, now that he's in the White House, we have to oppose everything that this president does. White House officials have refused to rule out unilateral action, meantime, to close Guantanamo, uh, the Guantanamo prison. According to CNN, Obama said on Tuesday he would use, quote, all legal tools to deal with the remaining detainees. Uh, there's only a little bit more than 90 left in there now. Others in the in the administration, however, have said firmly that the current law, as passed by Republicans and Democrats, and this is an important point, uh, the current law keeps them from moving these uh, uh, these prisoners to a different facility, even the ones who have been cleared, by the way, uh, for release. So they have to get the support from Congress, at least as far as we know, at least unless the uh, Obama administration comes up with some sort of executive action which would allow him to do this without the approval of Congress. But even the attorney general Loretta Lynch, for example, said back in November that the law currently does not allow detainees to be transferred to the U.S. and said that the option, quote, is not, as I am aware of, going to be contemplated given the legal prescriptions. Uh, There are, uh, let's see, U.S. uh, officials told CNN that the State Department has either concluded or is in the final stages of agreement with several countries to resettle all of the 34 prisoners who have been already approved for release by this summer. 
with 10 of the remaining 91 detainees expected to go under undergo uh, military tribunals, that leaves another 47 detainees who could be approved by an interagency review to be sent home or to a third country. So what we're really talking about is 10, ultimately 10 uh, terrorists who are uh, or, or alleged terrorists who are to undergo military tribunals, but we are just too frightened. Quick, panic! Yes, and they are, and they're doing a great job of it. But uh, now, listen, uh, there's been a lot of uh, criticism of Obama for not keeping his promise to shut down Guantanamo until now. And there's plenty to criticize uh, the president for uh, concerning uh, Guantanamo and many other things. On this point, however, Democrats, led by Harry Reid, blocked Obama, blocked Obama's initial order to move those uh, uh, prisoners out of there to shut down Guantanamo. The Democrats are culpable just as much as, uh, frankly, just as much as the Republicans in this matter. So I think that Obama should actually be given some slack for not closing Gitmo, but not, however, for the mistreatment that many of the prisoners uh, still there have been subject to during uh, uh, Obama's uh, presidency, various forms of torture, not via interrogation, as far as we know, but through things like forced feeding uh, during hunger strikes, uh, etc. So more on that, I suspect, in the future here on the broadcast. But uh, there is some breaking news today as we go to air. Uh, in a little bit, we'll be back. That was Desi Doyen, by the way. You heard her <laughs> voice. Uh, how are you, Des? I'm okay. Uh, Desi Doyen, you will be back uh, yes. with the Green News Report a little bit later as we finally have some action in Oklahoma to reduce... Man-made fracking earthquakes in what, as you have noted, is now the earthquake capital of the country, Oklahoma. Uh, also, uh, in uh, in politics, in the Green News report, the Democrats, Bernie and Hillary, are both uh, promising to end various forms of uh, drilling, fossil fuel drilling. We'll have that and... Um, Oh, a couple of other good items uh, coming up. Uh, the guy, Freedom Industries. Remember Freedom Industries, the the company that was responsible for poisoning the water in West Virginia a couple of years ago. What was that 2014? 2014 was when the, the West Virginia chemical yeah. spill happened. Okay, well, we finally got some accountability for <laughs> the guy who ran that company. We'll tell you about that accountability and oh, you're gonna love it about the uh, a, a huge another huge hurricane. Uh, in the uh, South Pacific, is that where yes. Fiji is? That's yeah, where South Fiji, Pacific. That would be yeah. uh, the uh, considered a tropical cyclone because mm-hmm. hurricanes are only in the Atlantic. But... And it was a record, uh, a record hurricane. Another we will have that record. coming up a little bit later. Also, my thanks to those of you who stopped by Bradblog.com/slash/donate with an anniversary gift for us, as it was our seventh anniversary of the Green News Report last week. 690 episodes of six minutes of uh, green news, uh, politics, analysis, and snarky comments, whatever that, whatever it is I say every time. So uh, thank you uh, to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. Greatly appreciated. All right, uh, Desi Doyen, uh, I hope you won't mind if I very quickly ask you a a personal uh, question here or two. Uh, Did you ever buy porn? What? Have you ever sniffed glue? Have you ever? Have you ever? What are you? Why are you? What are you asking? Did you have sex in junior high school? What? That's what I need to ask. Okay. How many times? Okay, just tell me how many (laughs) times. 
This is uh, actually these are questions uh, from the Associated Press. Uh, they looked inside the vetting process. <gasps> you are kidding yeah, me. Yeah, no, for the vetting process for Obama's potential Supreme Court nominees. And these are the kind of questions that they ask these people. They ask these oh attorneys my. or whoever it is that they're asking. Yeah, it's that's amazing. really offensive. Actually. Uh, you think? Yeah. Well, that's what they're put through. The prospective justices. Uh, it is the most thorough background check in the nation. They describe it as an invasive process where nothing is off limits. They say, after all, a surprise dredged up uh, later could scuttle the confirmation. So candidates, taxes, writings, childhoods, business dealings, medical histories, and yes, their love lives are scrutinized for these sort of potential red flags. Uh, yeah, kind of amazing uh, the depth to which they go. So you're, if you're not willing to answer that thing about sex in junior high school, I guess you're, what you're saying is you're not interested in the nomination. Yeah, to I guess not. Next- <laughs> All right. Well, you're out. Um, Justice Anthony Kennedy, uh, they described, sat through 10 10 plus hours of FBI interviews and a three hour session with the attorney general and White House counsel in which, quote, all conceivable, no holds barred questions were asked. And that was back in 87, 88. Right. So Uh, imagine what the questions are like now. Imagine. Uh, Kennedy was asked questions like, have you ever engaged in kinky sex? This this is according to a memo archived in the Reagan Library. Uh, did you shoplift as a kid? What about any associations with groups like the Ku Klux Klan? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, ever abuse a girlfriend? Ever engage in cruelty to animals? And also, tell us about sex in college. How often? How many women? <laughs> and did you ever contract a venereal disease? Wow. Yeah, right? Uh, so, uh, all of this, uh, all told when, um, uh, Sandra Sotomayor, uh, was nominated by, uh, President Obama in 2009, she was asked whether anyone in Obama's office had asked her about cases currently before the court, but she was also asked to list every opinion she'd ever authored, every time she'd ever recused herself, every legal event she ever attended since joining the district court, all told Sotomayor, uh, responded, uh, her questionnaire response totaled more than 5,000 pages. That's what it, you have to go through to become a uh, Supreme Court justice. Uh, begging the question, who wants to be nominated for that job if you have to go through all of this? Well, never mind if you want to be nominated for it, because right now, according to the Republicans, there ain't going to be a nomination. And this is just incredible. Of course, we, you know, after uh, Antonin Scalia died, uh, what is it, a week and a half or so ago, the Republicans came out right away. Mitch McConnell came out right away, said, no, we're not going to hold hearings. Uh, Chuck Grassley, the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee, said, no, we're not going to have any uh, not going to have any hearings here at all. Now, why they would do that? is not altogether clear to me. If they wanted to obstruct Obama, just obstruct him. Have, you know, allow him to make his nominee, hold hearings, hold him up, don't vote on him. But what they're saying, I guess the, their fear is, he will put forward somebody perfectly reasonable, as Obama tends to do, and they won't be able to come up with a good reason to block them. So 
That's what they said at the time. There were a couple of Republican senators who showed a little bit of wiggle room. Even Chuck Grassley, head of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, showed a little bit of wiggle room, said, oh, well, we'll see who he puts forward. We'll decide at that time. Well, that's all off, apparently, as of today, as key Republican senators on the Judiciary Committee emerged from a closed-door meeting in Mitch McConnell, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's office, claiming to be united in their determination to not consider any nominee, just not even consider anybody to replace Scalia until the next president takes office. Today is the first day that the Senate was back in session since Scalia's death uh, on February 13. So this is the first time they got together to talk about it. John Cornyn, the uh, uh, majority whip, said, we believe the American people need to decide who is going to make this appointment rather than a lame duck president. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham said that there's no use starting a process that's not going to go anywhere and we are going to lead to the and we're going to let the next president decide when asked why there would be no hearings. He said, I think that this is what Democrats would do for them to say they wouldn't do it is a lie. That's what uh, Lindsey Graham asserts. I'm not quite so sure. Actually, I'm not. Democrats wouldn't do this at all. At best, they might maybe hold up the nomination as it moved forward. They might vote against. They might filibuster. But to say they wouldn't even hold hearings, just ridiculous. Of course they would. Meanwhile, the apparently not insane Senator Jeff Flake, Republican of Arizona, said that Republicans were still talking. Meanwhile, uh, Harry Reid, Senate leader uh, for the uh, for the Democrats, says that uh, Republicans are just following the marching orders of Trump and Cruz on this issue. Uh, He responded to uh, McConnell's comments, who once again uh, reiterated from the Senate floor today that uh, they would not allow any anybody to move forward under this president. Harry Reid described this as obstruction on steroids and uh, said that McConnell is leading the charge to obstruct and cheapen the presidency at all costs, regardless of the damage it does to our democracy. He said that uh, uh, that uh, McConnell was taking marching orders from Donald Trump and Senator Ted Cruz. But there remains some hope just a bit. Uh, Moderate Senator Mark Kirk on Monday Uh, He strayed from this hard line uh, by the rest of the Republicans. He said, I recognize the right of the president, be it a Republican or a Democrat, to place before the Senate a nominee for the Supreme Court. He said he fully expects and looks forward to uh, uh, President Barack Obama advancing a nominee for the Senate to consider. He wrote that in an op-ed in the Chicago Times. Of course, Mark Kirk is uh, up for re-election in a so-called blue state this year. So maybe it doesn't even matter what he says publicly if the rest of his caucus uh, says they're not going to do it. But he did write, I also recognize my duty as a senator to either vote in support or opposition to that nominee following a fair and thorough hearing, along with a complete and transparent release of all requested information. He said the Senate's role in providing advice and consent is as important and significant as the president's role in proposing a nominee. That was Republican Senator Mark Kirk, and good for him. Meanwhile, a new poll 
A new poll finds that uh, in a couple of swing states, the voters really, really would like to see a new president uh, as a new justice appointed by this president. According to a poll from PPP this week, uh, 57 percent of registered voters in Pennsylvania and 58 percent of the respondents in Ohio believe that the Supreme Court vacancy left in the wake of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia's death should be filled this year before a new president is sworn in in 2017. Now, Senators Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania and Rob Portman from Ohio are both running for re-election this year, so they are bound to notice the fact that uh, a whopping uh, 70% uh, in uh, in Pennsylvania, a 60% in Ohio... Um, agree that the vacant seat on the Supreme Court should be filled this year. So we'll see what uh, what they say. Both Portman and Toomey uh, have said they don't believe Obama should be allowed to fill the slot in an election year. Nonetheless, with all of that, the Republicans, Senate Judiciary Republicans, released a letter after the meeting saying that they have the power, this is from the letter, well, that they have the power to, quote, withhold consent of a president's nominee. Well, yeah, I guess they have that power. They wrote they want to ensure the American people are not deprived of the opportunity to engage in a full and robust debate over the type of jurist they wish to decide some of the most critical issues of our time. The letter goes on to say, Accordingly, given the particular circumstances under which this vacancy arises, we wish to inform you of our intention to exercise our constitutional authority to withhold consent on any nominee to the Supreme Court submitted by this president. Because our decision is based on constitutional principle. What constitutional principle? Principle. And born of a necessity to protest the will of the uh, uh, to protect the will of the American people. This committee will not hold hearings on any Supreme Court nominee until after our next president is sworn in on January 20, 2017. Just amazing. All right. Uh, much more on this. And we will be joined by Brad Plumer from Vox.com to talk about Still more fallout and perhaps the most important fallout of the death of Antonin Scalia. That and much more on the broadcast straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by Bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks.
get over it. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know, one of the most offensive things that uh, the now late Justice Antonin Scalia, I think, ever said, and there was a lot of offensive stuff. <laughs> this is hard to come up with just, just one. But one of the most offensive was when he was asked several years after Bush v. Gore, after his decision, his vote allowed uh, the Supreme Court to select who would be the next president of the United States back in 2000, instead of allowing the people of Florida to make that choice to actually count their ballots, which were totally countable. Instead of doing that, they said, no, they came up with some excuse. The Supreme Court did. And they voted. They voted. Antonin Scalia voted to put George W. Bush into office. Uh, when he was asked about it a few years later, uh, as he was, I guess, throughout his uh, career, uh, he, he one, at one point he just said, oh, get over it, which is so amazingly offensive to me, particularly given the damage that George W. Bush did to this country. Get over it? Really? Over at bradblog.com, uh, every Sunday we post our Sunday uh, uh, tunes there. And Perry Dorrell does it for us, P. Diddy. And uh, his lead tune on Sunday was a, uh, a cartoon of uh, Scalia looking up at this huge devil with burning flames everywhere. And the devil says to Scalia, get over it. Sounds about right. Uh, speaking of Scalia... A comment recently submitted by a large group of scientists to the journal Nature noted that, uh, quote, a considerable fraction of the carbon emitted to date and in the next 100 years will remain in the atmosphere for tens to hundreds of thousands of years. Those scientists argue that, in fact, our current outlook for global warming over the coming decades or even centuries does not take a broad enough look at the consequences of climate change and the decisions that we are making right now in, in the world, across the planet, but certainly here in the U.S., given the way our policies affect the world's. And that those decisions being made are not just important for the coming decades or even centuries, but for the coming millennia. These decisions, they argue, will reverberate for the next 10,000 years. In writing about that outlook, David Roberts of Vox.com, a frequent guest on this program, notes that if President Obama's clean power plan, a plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the nation's power plants by some 30 percent below 2005 levels, if that plan is struck down in the courts in a challenge that is currently pending against it in, in federal court right now, brought by some 27 Republican-run states and fossil fuel companies, that the results could become even more catastrophic than many understand. That clean power plan, which is actually a rule set by the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, is now endangered in no small part thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court, which just days before Justice Antonin Scalia's sudden death recently, that court had issued an unprecedented order to halt the plan while the case was being challenged in the lower federal court. That lower court, the D.C. Uh, court of Appeals, had already said that the plan could move forward during the trial. But rather than wait for the lower court to complete the trial, as has always been the custom in such matters uh, that come before the Supreme Court, a five to four ruling by the Supreme Court put the plan on hold. Then with the death of Scalia, 
His vote against the Clean Power Plan being one of his last, if not the last, official acts by the controversial justice, the political future of the Clean Power Plan may now suddenly have become a bit brighter, though that will likely depend on how the battle over Scalia's replacement and who actually gets to replace him on the court eventually plays out. So while we went into some detail last week about the effects of Scalia's death on a number of the big cases currently pending before the court, I wanted to get into a bit more detail on this particular issue in no small part because of its significance uh, not just to the immediate moment or even to upcoming decades, but as the scientists note, to the next 10,000 years on this planet and the ability for humanity to survive on it. Um, as it happens, Robert's colleague at Vox.com, Brad Plumer, wrote about exactly that in his piece last week titled What Antonin Scalia's Death Means for Obama's Climate Plans. Joining us now to talk about all of this is Brad Plumer, a senior editor at Vox.com, where he oversees the site's science, energy and environmental coverage. He was previously a reporter at The Washington Post, covering climate and energy policy. Brad Plumer, sir, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. It has been uh, a, a grave oversight of mine that someone with a name like yours has yet to be on this program. So I hope to make up for that today, Brad. It's uh, a good name. Glad it's popular. Yes, sir. And and if I ever have to take a day off, I'm hoping uh, you'll be willing to cover for me here. Uh, first, uh, have I overstated the unprecedented nature of the Supreme Court's ruling that put a hold on the uh, the clean power plan, the, the CPP? Uh, were, were you as surprised about the issuance of that stay by the court as so many others? It was very surprising. They never... Uh, federal regulation that has basically uh, been allowed to go forward by the uh, circuit court doesn't usually, the Supreme Court doesn't usually step in and say, hey, actually, we want to block this for the time being while we uh, decide whether it's legal or not. And, and, and how would you, I, I realize this is somewhat speculative, but how would you explain it? What is it as craven as it, as, as it kind of appears here? It's really tough to say. I think the if I want to make a, a sort of generous case for what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I think they saw what happened with uh, the earlier EPA's mercury rule, uh, which was to regulate mercury pollution from coal plants. Mm -hmm. And that was one that it went for it. It uh, started to take effect. Power plants started planning for it. And then the Supreme Court finally came in and said, hey, we actually uh, don't agree with how you uh, crafted this rule in the first place. Can you go back and redo it? Uh, but by that point, the rule had already uh, forced all these changes in mm -hmm. all these power plants. So, you know, if I would had to guess, I would guess that the Supreme Court was looking at that and saying, hey, we want to rule on the legality of this before it actually takes effect and people start making changes in response to it. I assume that's what they're saying. I mean, fundamentally, with the mercury rule, it didn't matter that much just because, uh, it, you know, their quibbles with that rule were pretty small, and it looks like the rule will stay in effect anyway. Mm -hmm. But I would guess that's what they were thinking. All right. Well, before we get into the politics of what may happen next following Scalia's death uh, and and his possible replacement, whoever gets to uh, to, to make that nomination, uh, what would the effect on the world be as you see it, both in regard to climate change and I guess more immediately to the landmark U.N. Paris agreement that was struck late last year between some 
uh, uh, 200 countries that would, for the first time, put curbs on the emission of carbon worldwide, uh, and which the Clean Power Plan was a key part of in regard to the U.S. contribution towards that effort. So how important actually is the survival of the Clean Power Plan to, to those issues? I think it's pretty important, but not necessarily uh, fatal if it goes away. Mm -hmm. So the place to start is there are lots of changes in the U.S. power sector that are going on right now. You see, you know, coal power is going away, renewables are uh, rising. Congress just recently passed these tax credits for wind and solar that will continue for the next five years. So there are a lot of changes and a lot of uh, advances in clean energy that are going to happen no matter what. I think this rule is an extra thing on top of it that's pretty important. It gets states that, uh, red states in particular, that weren't thinking about clean energy to suddenly start thinking about it. Uh, you already see, uh, before the Supreme Court at least, a lot of states were starting to think about uh, carbon trading and whether they should set up some sort of cap-and-trade system for power plants. Uh, that would maybe take effect, you know, a bunch of years down the road. So it's not everything, but it's definitely a big, important thing. And But what about for the world, Brad? Because this is something that uh, uh, mm -hmm. President Obama had talked about, that the world is looking to this country, uh, you know, for leadership on this issue. So w would that have any effect on the world and on the, the Paris Agreement itself if we weren't able to keep up our, our end of the obligation? Yeah, it really... that is a huge question, and it would be very difficult for us to meet our goals without this rule. Mm -hmm. And so then the question is, how do other countries react? Do China and India decide, okay, the U.S. has had a bit of a setback, but we want to keep pushing on ahead uh, and push toward clean energy because we think it's beneficial? Or do they decide that they throw up their hands and uh, say, well, if the U.S. isn't going to do what it promised to do, we sure as hell don't need to do what we promise to do. And I don't think anyone really knows the answer to that. I think it would be better overall if we don't try to find out. But <laughs> I think that's something that, you know, at this point, it's, it's very uncertain. And you could imagine that the deal is robust enough that it can survive a few setbacks. Or you could imagine that uh, there are conditions where it's so fragile that even a few sh setbacks shatter what has already been put in place. All right, going back... Uh, but I don't think yeah. anyone knows for sure. Well, it, 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 going back then to the D.C. Circuit Court, where this uh, uh, this challenge is now pending by these industry groups, the fossil fuel uh, groups, and the 27, I think mostly, if not entirely, Republican states that are challenging this law. What What is the current status uh, and the current outlook for that case challenging the EPA's authority here to carry out the Clean Power Plan, uh, what, what, what do we expect from the D.C. Circuit Court at this time? So they are going to, they're speeding up the hearings. They're going to hear it in June. Uh, oral arguments will begin. And Are they speeding it up because of the, because of the Supreme Court? Uh, no, they had sped it up before. They just okay. thought this was a big case. It was important to get some clarity while all these states were scrambling to figure out how they would comply with it. So gotcha. they decided to speed it up before that. And um, I think the EPA seems to have a pretty strong case there very confident in it. Um, it. And there are a whole bunch of different arcane legal questions that will have to be involved. There was a section of the Clean Air Act that originally in 1990, the House and Senate passed 
slightly different versions of. And historically, uh, courts have been pretty deferential to the EPA in uh, making reasonable assumptions about what the law actually means. Um, and I think most, a lot of observers think the D.C. Circuit Court will probably be pretty deferential to the EPA in that regard. They usually are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judges on the three-judge panel that are sitting on that court, uh, in the past they've been pretty uh, sympathetic to environmental claims, so it looks like it has a pretty good shot there. And then at that point it would go up to the Supreme Court, and if the Supreme Court was still divided for four, if they didn't replace Scalia, then basically whatever the D.C. Circuit Court decide would stand. Uh, So then the question is, what happens if someone replaces Scalia? And and let me get to that in a moment, but prior to Scalia's death, with the uh particularly with the ruling to put a stay on the power plan, the five to four ruling to uh, put a stay on the power plan for now, it looked pretty certain that uh, had the, uh, the the challengers lost at the D.C. court level, they almost certainly would have gone to the Supreme Court uh, and probably had a victory. At least it looked pretty good for them. That now seems much less certain and much uh, better for the uh, Obama and the Clean Power Plan with the death of Scalia. Is is that fair to say? Uh, well, it looks much better assuming a assuming either the court stays split 4-4 for mm-hmm. a long time or a uh, Democrat wins in November and appoints someone to replace Scalia who is likely to be pretty favorable towards the Clean Power Plan. It's entirely likely that, um, or entirely possible mm-hmm. that a Republican could win November. They confirm a new justice who's just as conservative as Scalia, you know, just as uh, hostile toward the EPA's arguments. And then, uh, you know, if the other justices put off this case until that happens, then, yeah, the Supreme Court could still overrule um, uh, the plan and strike it down. But it's it's no longer a sure thing. Uh, now that Scalia's gone, you know, there's a real possibility that he could re- be replaced with a more liberal judge, and that mm-hmm. would bode very well for the plan. Well, Brad Plumer, as you point out in your uh, in your article at Vox on this, that even if uh, uh, Obama is not allowed to appoint anyone for whatever reason and a Republican comes in, uh, it won't even be a matter of a Republican uh, keeping the well the previous five to four uh, right leaning imbalance on the court because that president could simply strike down the clean power plan. Correct? Because it's not a statutory. Uh, well, it, it's it's not a law passed by Congress. It's a rule put in place by the Obama administration's EPA, and it could be undone simply by executive order by the next president. Correct? Uh, It wouldn't be easy, and um, so it's being done under the existing Clean Air Act. So if a new president, Republican president, came in and they wanted to get rid of it, they could try to just pass a law with Congress saying Uh that the EPA doesn't have any authority to regulate CO2. And if Congress did that and they got a bill passed, then it would be gone. The EPA wouldn't be able to do it anymore. Um, If they couldn't for whatever reason, because Congress, as usually happens, uh, can't get its act together and they can't pass anything, then the president could try to scrap the rule and redo it. It would just be hard. They would have to go through a whole process, put out a notice, have public hearings. Mm. Environmental groups would sue them. Um, So the best bet for a Republican wing, the presidency, is either 
replace Scalia with a judge hostile toward the EPA and hope that uh, they can strike it down in court or try to pass a law uh, in Congress to repeal the Clean Power Plan. Um, as a last resort, they could try to do it administratively, mm-hmm. but it would be much harder, and environmental groups would certainly try to sue, and you know, it, it, it's unclear how that would all go. And, and and it's hard to strike down this rule because uh, e- even the uh, the Supreme Court, when Scalia was alive, I think it was back in 2007, they determined that e- that the EPA had, in fact, had the authority under the Clean Air Act uh, to set these rules that would uh, reduce dangerous emissions from coal and gas-fired power plants, right? So the, the EPA... They can move forward with the uh, enforcement of this law as mandated by the Supreme Court, no matter no matter who becomes president. Uh, am, am I right about that? Well, so back in 2007, basically, the Supreme Court said that the EPA needed to regulate uh, uh-huh. carbon dioxide under the Clean Air Act, right. uh, as long as it was dangerous to public health, public welfare, which scientists agree it was. Uh, EPA needed to move forward in regulating But then the question is, how do they regulate? And the Clean Power Plan is a very specific type of regulation that may not be, uh, the courts may not agree with. Um, So a big question here is Anthony Kennedy. Back in 2007, he was one of the judges who says, yes, the EPA does need to regulate CO2. But now he's giving an indication with a say that, Maybe the exact way that the EPA did it with power plants, uh, you know, doesn't meet his approval. It's not what he had in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so this case is more about how they do it than whether broadly they have the authority uh, to issue CO2 regulation. Let me, uh, I got just a, a couple of more questions with you here, speaking with Brad Plumer, senior editor at Vox.com. Uh, Brad, uh, I don't want to break your ears here, but uh, I want to play this clip from Rush Limbaugh just uh, just days ago, uh, talking about the clean power plan. And I guess he's hoping to sort of move the Overton window on this uh, by suggesting that uh, even the clean power plan, which is actually kind of minimal in many ways, uh, at least compared to what this planet may need, uh, that even the clean power plan reductions in carbon emissions would, in Limbaugh's words, be impossible. The clean power plan aims to cut carbon pollution 32 percent below 2005 levels by 2030. That's not possible not without going back to the Stone Age. It literally is not possible. You couldn't do that without shutting down the engine of the United States and world economy. You could not do it. 30% below 2005? It's not possible. It simply isn't possible. For one thing, you'd have to stop human beings from exhaling. This is just, it's it's (laughs) mind-boggling. Well, yes, it is mind-boggling, Rush. Uh, teeing that up for you, Brad, have at it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, ridiculous. I mean, for one, we are already uh, at about, uh, I'd have to look this up, but somewhere like 15% below 2005 levels. And you can absolutely do it. A big way to do it is just by replacing coal with natural gas. Natural gas produces about half the CO2 per unit of electricity. So if you replaced all coal plants with natural gas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you'd see no effect on uh, the stability of the power grid or anything like that, but you'd cut emissions 50%. So 
the idea that this can't be done without going back to the Stone Age is ridiculous. <laughs> I can't believe you're saying Rush Limbaugh is ridiculous, Brad. How yeah, dare you? It's, it's shocking. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, on the other side of that equation, then, uh, Brad, would we meet the goals of the clean power plan uh, without that EPA rule in play. Actually, would we meet it even if that rule moves forward? Uh, You know, if even and even if we did, would it be anywhere near the amount of emissions reductions that we need to avoid the scenarios I was talking about in the opening here that David Roberts, your colleague, uh, uh, wrote about and those science uh, scientists wrote about in in uh, in the Nature Journal that would make this planet unlivable over the next 10,000 or so years? I mean, is it even nearly enough, even if it does work out as planned? Uh, So, no, it's definitely not. And I don't think anyone, uh, the Obama administration has never claimed it has. Most of its supporters have never claimed it has. Uh, They mostly see it as one step among many. I mean, power plants are only one source of emissions in the U.S. economy, and we're just one country in the entire world. So, you know, this can only really be seen as a uh, one step in that direction, but an important step. And, uh, you know, without it, I think you'd still see some reductions. You just wouldn't see nearly as, as sharp reductions as what this plan is aiming for. All right, before I let you go, Brad Plumer, my uh, my producer here, my co-host on the Green News Report, Desi Doyen, has a uh, has a much harder question for you. What do you got? What do you got? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's harder, Brad, but um, I've been seeing some chatter here and there about an obscure provision in the Clean Air Act. I think it's Section One Fifteen that apparently has never been used, and it has something to do with our impact on foreign countries. Um, do you know about that? Could you explain what that is? Yeah, that is basically this section uh, of the Clean Air Act, which, as you said, it's never been used. And the idea is that if you have uh, pollution from within our borders that is crossing into other borders and uh, creating problems there, that uh, as long as other countries that also have similar pollution are promising to take steps to reduce it, the EPA uh, has the authority to order states to reduce that same pollution. So this sounds like it... Uh, You know, it applies to CO2, which is uh, coming out from our factories and power plants and cars and crossing borders. And uh, it sounds like at Paris, everyone took steps to start reducing it. So you could see the argument that this would give the EPA the authority to order states to take far more significant action to reduce CO2 than they're already doing. Um, The big problem is it's just untested. And ultimately, it would depend on... Uh, does the EPA want to do that? Do they want to go through the, uh, face the political backlash and then do the courts, does the Supreme Court uh, uphold it? Do they think that's okay? And, you know, certainly Scalia has been on record in the past saying you can't take some obscure provision like that and use it to make this sweeping regulation that will have huge economic effects. But a more liberal replacement to Scalia might say, uh, sure, that's what the law says, you can do it. Um, so it really depends on who's sitting on the Supreme Court, I think, and whether the next president wants to take that political step. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait for President Trump to make that decision. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that but- seems uh, less likely. <laughs> Brad, Brad Plumer, senior editor at Vox.com. Follow his important work over there and on the Twitters where you can find him uh, with the other fine Brads on the Twitters. He is 
Brad Plumer, P-L-U-M-E-R. Brad, really great having you here on uh, on the show for the first time. I hope you'll uh, join us again sometime in the near future, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. All right, a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs> Melting for Desi Doyen right here on the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Des, do you, do you feel any better now that you've heard Brad Plumer uh, talk about the uh, the clean power plan? A little bit better, but, you know, it's it's only the, the human existence, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> that's all that's at stake. Speaking of human existence at stake, yes, it's time for our latest Green News report. The ground keeps shaking in Oklahoma and more violently. Oklahoma finally acts to reduce man-made fracking earthquakes. We will not extract fossil fuels in the future from any public lands. Bernie Sanders promises to end drilling on federal property. Hillary Clinton promises to end drilling off the Atlantic coast. A slap on the wrist for the CEO behind West Virginia's toxic chemical spill. Plus, cleanup is underway after one of the most powerful storms on record tore through Fiji. Tropical cyclone Winston smashes the record for the strongest hurricane ever in the Southern Hemisphere. All of those records and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. An exact replica of the Titanic will set sail in 2018. And this time it should be perfectly safe because by then we should be out of icebergs. And that would be funnier if it weren't quite as true. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the average number of earthquakes in Oklahoma is now two and a half per day. It used to be one and a half Per year. Yep, and now Oklahoma is the earthquake capital of the United States, surpassing even California. The earthquakes have been linked by the U.S. Geological Survey to the fracking industry's use of deep underground wells to dispose of toxic fracking wastewater. Oklahoma residents have now filed class action lawsuits against those fracking companies seeking damages because they say it's now impacting their property values. You have hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate that's being damaged by that activity. And now, after years of denying the link between fracking and earthquakes, now the state of Oklahoma is finally taking action. Sort of. Regulators have ordered operators of only 250 injection wells to limit the depth and the volume of the toxic fracking wastewater that they inject deep underground by a whopping 40%. So wait, so they put this wastewater into the ground, that makes the rocks slippery, causes earthquakes, are they suggesting that if you put less water in and less deeply, then it'll back off those earthquakes a little bit. Yeah, uh, good luck with that. In the battle for the Democratic Party presidential nomination, both candidates are pushing hard to further restrict fossil fuel extraction on public lands and territories. At the most recent Democratic town hall hosted by MSNBC, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont pledged to end all oil and gas exploration on lands owned by taxpayers. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton hasn't gone 
so far as to promise to end fossil fuel drilling on public lands, but she has now come out against offshore drilling off the Atlantic coast. Now, she had already pledged to end drilling in the Arctic, and Clinton has been slow to catch up to Senator Sanders' push for policies that keep fossil fuels in the ground. But she's trying to make up the difference in some fashion. Amazing how just a few years ago, the Republican motto was drill, baby, drill. And now you've got Democrats out there saying, no, no more drilling uh, wherever we can stop it. And they're doing it proudly and don't seem to be taking much blowback for it. Good for them. On the Republican side of the presidential race, Ohio Governor John Kasich may have been trying to distinguish himself from the remaining Republican candidates when at a Vermont town hall over the weekend, he said he accepts that humans have some effect on the climate. I do not know how much that individuals affect the climate, but here's what I do know. I know that we need to develop all of the renewables, and we need to do it in an orderly way, and we need to have wind, and we need to have solar. So he's not an out-and-out denier? Maybe that's progress on the Republican side? It's a line that the remaining Republicans have been trying out. They've been supporting wind and solar, but they don't support any curbs on fossil fuels or greenhouse gas emissions. Those are what actually cause climate change. Meanwhile, record warm oceans turbocharged a record hurricane season in 2015, and the record-breaking continues in 2016. Tropical cyclone Winston made landfall in the island nation of Fiji as a Category 5 storm over the weekend, killing at least 28 people and causing widespread destruction. Tropical Cyclone Winston broke the record for the strongest cyclone ever recorded in the Southern Hemisphere. That's just four months after Hurricane Patricia broke the record for the strongest storm ever recorded anywhere on the planet. Finally, remember the West Virginia chemical spill when toxic coal waste from a decrepit storage tank farm contaminated the drinking water supply of 300,000 people back in 2014? I do. Freedom Industries, they called themselves. Yep. The former president of Freedom Industries was also charged with negligence, bankruptcy fraud, and perjury for lying to investigators in a scheme to protect his personal fortune from liability after the disaster. Well, he's been sentenced. The millionaire CEO was sentenced to one month in prison and a fine of $20,000, the absolute minimum sentence allowed. Unbelievable. Well, I guess if he's sentenced to even one month at this point, we should be happy there's any accountability for these guys whatsoever. Amazing. For much more on those stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah, yeah, My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to my guest today, Brad Plumer of Vox.com, and of course, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it, as always, for free from bradblog.com or over at iTunes. You can drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Always great to hear from you. You can also find and follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.